0: Welcome back to On Call, a podcast from Marisource Bergen, where we discuss the latest industry information relevant to our GPO member practices. Precision medicine is refocusing which clinical trials are possible, but we still have roughly a 5% participation rate and non-diverse patient demographic. Community oncology is the doorway to changing the face of clinical trials in the era of precision medicine. In this episode, we are joined by Dr. Paul Bond, Jr., Distinguished Professor and James Dudley Endowed Chair in the Lung Cancer Research Division of Medical Oncology University of Colorado. And Dr. Fred Ashbury, Co-Founder and Chief Scientific Officer at V-Cure to discuss the process and benefits of facilitating clinical trials in the community setting.
1: The purpose of our podcast to talk about clinical trials, but more specifically with the emergence of precision medicine and oncology, what the impact of that might mean and what the role will be for community oncology practices to become more involved in this space. So, Paul, we would both agree there are currently thousands of clinical trials currently underway right now in oncology focused on prevention, intervention studies, as well as treatment and supportive care trials. But with the advent of precision oncology as well, this is creating a new complexity. One of our key issues, of course, has been recruitment and retention of patients into these trials. And right now our recruitment rates are abysmally low with only about one in 20 cancer patients participating in trials. Can you share with us your thoughts about how community oncology practices might address this concern, along with the disparities associated with those participation rates, including region, age, ethnicity, and the like?
2: Obviously, the only way we make progress in cancer treatment, as well as early detection prevention, is through clinical trials. If we didn't have clinical trials, we'd be stuck forever with what we have today, or we might even have been stuck where we were years ago if we didn't have clinical trials. So clinical trials are imperative to improve outcome for patients. It's the only way to do this. And uh, as you mentioned, less than one in 20 patients, less than 5% of cancer patients enter a clinical trial. And so if we had more patients entering a clinical trial, we would speed discovery and improve outcomes faster. It's also true that in the United States, the majority of patients with cancer are treated in the community setting, not uh, in an academic center. And so it's really imperative if we're going to increase access to clinical trials, that we do that in the community setting. And uh, this is not competition, this is good for all of us. Uh, Certainly, in academic medicine, we want community oncology practices to participate in clinical trials. So there are obviously barriers and we can talk about some of those. The first uh, barrier is that care of cancer patients has become multidisciplinary. And, in academia, the people in each discipline, be it lung, breast, GI, GU, and so on, often work together and usually have weekly uh, conferences to discuss not only clinical trials, but patient participation in those clinical trials. In the community, that's often uh, a bit more difficult because the radiotherapist and the medical oncologist and the surgeon and the pulmonologist and the pathologist may be in different locations. And so identifying patients for clinical trials is sometimes uh, more complicated in a community. So in addition, the breast specialist may be different from the lung specialist. And as we make advances, the precision oncology, as you call it, or molecular oncology, has similarities but differences. So, for example, in lung cancer, about a third of patients will have a molecular driver for which there's a already approved agent, FDA-approved agent, whereas in some cancers, there's far fewer patients that have been identified with molecular drivers. But it's an incredibly important precision medicine because the outcomes are much better and the toxicity is much reduced. So it's really imperative that we get people on clinical trials. Just another point is that some community oncologists have joined networks which can expedite access to clinical trials. Many oncology practices have been bought by hospitals. And in my opinion, those hospitals have not been supporting enough of these clinical trials for community oncologists who more and more often now may be employed by by the hospital. So I think that COVID also has, you know, made continuing issues with access to clinical trials, and we need some changes to the, the system to make it easier for uh, community oncologists to have access to trials, to have support for trials. And my belief is that the majority, certainly not all, but many community oncologists would, if it was feasible, want to put more people on clinical trial and want to have access to precision oncology data that would allow them to put people on trial. After all, more and more trials require a biomarker. Most often, that's a molecular biomarker, but sometimes it's a protein biomarker as well. And so the complexity is getting greater, but the need is getting greater as well. So certainly, we all hope that we can find ways to make it easier for community oncologists to put people on clinical trials.
1: Well, you've alluded to this, that there are certainly some benefits to uh, having more patients involved in clinical trials. And certainly the community setting can provide that venue when so many or rather the majority of cancer patients are being seen in those settings. Can you talk a little bit about what the perceived benefits, though, of me having my patients could be? that are participating in clinical trials through my clinic. Certainly the, the advantages of access to data as you've mentioned and the like, but perhaps there's some other benefits as well that can help to stimulate that participant.
2: Before we talk about fiscal implications uh, of all this, first of all, right now, there are many, many more patient advocacy groups. And most of those advocacy groups are communicating with patients. And most of those advocacy groups will discuss a molecular precision oncology and the importance of that and b the importance of clinical trials and so for community physicians they certainly want to be up to date or ahead of the patients and patients are wanting access to clinical trials more often and so physicians should want to provide that access to the patients that want that that access Number one, number two, you know, people want to stay up to date and clinical trials do in a way make you up to date and because they have, you know, many requirements that are quote up up to date. So clinical trials can help community physicians uh, stay up to date. Community oncologists probably don't want to lose patients to an academic center or to a competing community site that has access because patients are looking for access. So I think community physicians can keep patients and increase patients by having clinical trials. And there's a reward for knowing what the clinical trials are and what the outcomes of clinical trials are. You know, we all want to have a better outcome for our patients. So if we participate in things that make it better for patients, it makes us feel good. Arguably helps prevent burnout as well, because it's uh, interesting and it's not just a you know fiscal thing it's a you know quality of life and improvement for our patients so i think that the rewards that we get in academic medicine for finding new things i see no reason why a community oncologist wouldn't get the same you know gratification for participating
1: Yeah, it makes sense. I mean, there are a lot of reputational benefits, as you've mentioned. Uh, There's the professional knowledge gains that you would develop through your participation, access to new knowledge, obviously providing access to novel therapies that patients can't otherwise access or would have to travel great distances, perhaps, to participate in these trials, which may act as a barrier for many different reasons, too, for those patients. With With precision oncology, though, the the one specific issue that could come up for a lot of these community oncology practices could be things like access to sequencing labs or other resources that they might need. And the new designs that are being developed to run these trials, different from our classic clinical trial designs and the chemotherapy drug agent testing. So could you say a little bit about the resource issues and implications that way and design changes that have occurred
2: for every cancer and of course I do lung cancer primarily but I think for essentially every cancer now next gen sequencing for genetic alterations for which there are new oral therapies is critical and in lung cancer there's eight genetic alterations for which there's a pill that's FDA approved In some cancers, it's a smaller number, but basically there are genetic alterations in every cancer now that need to be known before starting therapy. And that, that's a, a challenge. But the, both the tumor tissue NGS testing and blood testing are FDA-approved and commercially available now. And there's several different vendors. Obvious that those CLIA-certified laboratories, in a way, it doesn't matter which one you select as long as you select one and, and, and get it done on every patient. <clears throat> You know, that being said, there are other biomarkers uh, that might be even more difficult. So there are certainly many approved immunohistochemistry protein biomarkers that are somewhat critical. And then we have gene expression, which is being looked at more and more. And so if we have to have gene expression, NGS testing, protein testing it's obviously uh, going to get more complicated. Fortunately, these biomarkers are FDA approved and commercially available. And so it's imperative that every practice have a vendor, a preferred vendor for NGS testing, for immunohistochemistry testing, and potentially in the future for, for gene testing. But right now, IHC testing for those approved markers and NGS testing for approved markers is critical. And um, that needs to be done before starting the treatment journey, in my opinion.
1: And the trial protocols are probably not advocating for any specific lab, as you've mentioned, as there are a number of different vendors that are available. Are there resources that might be needed, though, to, to help those practices in terms of not just requesting the, the result, but getting the result in, and then an interpretation of that result to go forward. Is mm-hmm. that supported by the, the trial sponsors or will those practices need to become a little bit more informed on in how to participate?
2: So there's a couple of issues. Of course, first is obtaining the tissue. And one of the issues in the community is that the pathologist has the tissue. And somebody has to tell the pathologist to send it uh, and where to send it. It is a little bit easier not to deal with all the different vendors. So the reports are a little bit different from each vendor and it is easier to get used to the reports. So having fewer vendors in a way is probably an advantage because because the reports are somewhat somewhat variable. But in the community, it's very, very important that they communicate with a pathologist and make sure that the pathologist, A, collects adequate amount of tissue, and B, the pathologist knows what you want from it. And if you have a preferred vendor, the pathologist should know about that. And in my opinion, it's more important to use the same vendor that you're used to, their reports and so on, uh, as opposed to which one. I I personally am not recommending any Mm -hmm. one over another. At our institution, the next-gen sequencing is done in-house from tissue, but the blood circulating tumor DNA is sent out to a commercial vendor. But I think there are several commercial vendors that are CLIA certified and certainly adequate for both tissue and, and blood. But it is, it, it is easier to use the same one, and it's really important that you communicate with a pathologist about which one's going to be used and making sure you get the report back.
1: Well, I want to pick up on something you mentioned earlier too, though. We already know the complexities of recruiting patients into trials, consenting them, and then managing through the process. The last 16 to 17 months have been unprecedented in terms of Changes that we've had to make often on the fly, on the fly, in response to COVID. What kind of changes have you seen occur in the clinical trials space, and what advice might you give to community practices?
2: Right. So, in lung cancer, the ISLC, you know, did a survey, and accrual went down by 43% from 2019 to uh, 2020 for every trial, basically of every type and country and region of the world, clinical trial accruals went down. Some of the mitigation strategies hopefully will continue, such as telehealth visits, monitoring by computer, having patients have access to labs and and radiology closer to home and traveling uh, great distances, allowing for telehealth visits. Many of those things will make it easier for the community oncologist to actually participate in these trials, as well as making it easier for the patient to participate in the trial. And not all those things have been agreed to by you know, the agencies like uh, the FDA and the EMEA. And so I think it's really going to be critical that the community of researchers work with the community of regulators to make it easier for patients. There's going to be some fiscal implications. Obviously, clinical trials cost money, and they're going to cost uh, money to clinical practitioners because they take time and other things. Another issue is Most institutions participating in clinical trials will give a discount on the lab and radiology fees. So hospitals gouge people in part because they will only get paid by a fraction of the patients. In a clinical trial, the hospital or who's ever doing the test always gets paid because the trial pays. But if the radiology and labs being done at a distant site you know, who pays. And also, you know, for a community practitioner, they may not make his money off a telehealth visit, but it still takes just as much time. And so it's going to be important that that the community oncologist doesn't feel that he's losing money to participate in in a clinical trial. And if he... If he can make it easier by having labs done at closer places and radiology done at closer places, to not lose money, that's what we need. So there's, I think, some regulatory changes that we need to make it easier for both the practicing physician as well as the patient.
1: Alongside the the paradigm shift that we've been seeing taking place in precision oncology. Uh, ways of thinking about data have also changed as well. There's been an emergence of, the, of artificial intelligence and digital solutions that you've mentioned too for capturing data. Can you comment a little bit on, on how these solutions, these platforms might need to be more involved? What kind of relationships might need to be developed? How they might need to be deployed through the community setting to facilitate trials in this space?
2: So AI, there's some platforms that are already approved. It's being applied to, obviously, radiology, AI. AI is being applied to pathology. Just as an example from my own sort of research right now, we are involved in a number of neoadjuvant trials where people get systemic therapy prior to surgery. And the pathologists obviously, at the time of surgery, look at the pathology specimen to see how many tumor cells are left. How much did the neoadjuvant treatment kill? And basically you have complete pathologic response, which means they can't find any tumor cell, but they may find tumor cells in 10%, 20%, 30%, whatever, and and quantify that. And then getting pathologists to agree on whether there's a major pathologic response, meaning less than 10% viable and so on, is a little bit complicated. And so now there are AI platforms that may be able to, to actually do that better you know, than the pathology. And it's the same for looking at pulmonary nodules on a CT scan. Are they malignant or not? And, you know, the radiologists can say, well, it's speculated and, you know, I think this is a low chance or a high chance and there are algorithms. But a question is, can a computer do it on the radiologist reading the uh, CT scan or MRI scan? And in my opinion, at the present time, those AI solutions in general are not ready for prime time. They're not better and they're not saving the radiologist or the pathologist time. But the hope is that they will be a better and be more efficient. I don't think we're going to get rid of pathologists or radiologists, but they may expedite things and speed it up. And so I think AI is here to stay and it's going to increase, but it's not prevalent now. In the same way that NGS testing, I think, is mandatory and here, ready to go. AI solutions are here, but maybe not ready to go.
1: Yeah, and and clearly, I think with the increasing numbers of patients that we're seeing, the complexity of care, the complexity of these novel trial designs and the like, at point of care, we're going to need AI solutions as well to help translate those data Process those data and, and provide considerations back to physicians in real time. Is my patient eligible for any one of these trials? If my patient is eligible, you know, consent the patient. If I got the consent, then I must manage the patient on the trial. Now, new sources of data are coming for those patients too, and and adding is uh, so much volume, if you will, of the things that you need to think about on a daily basis. It's already hard enough. It's I think that pressure is is increasing for your typical practice, a community oncology. Clearly, we've seen a lot of changes. Very grateful to Dr. Paul Bunn for his time today, distinguished professor, and the, the effort that you've taken in the clinical trial space has certainly influenced all of us. Your insights into how community oncology practice can make a difference helping to recruit patients, because that's where the majority of patients are seen, specifically to assist in precision oncology trials. Very, very helpful discussion today. Thank you, Paul.
2: Uh, It's a pleasure. And I will emphasize that I have nothing but respect for community oncologists where most of the practice takes place. And it's complicated, but hopefully we can make trials more accessible to them and reward them.
1: Thank you.
0: That's all for this episode of On Call. Stay tuned for more content from our partners at VCure, with topics ranging from toxicity management to AI support. Until next time, stay safe and thanks for listening.